Good morning, everybody. What a, a privilege to get to be with you. Um, Albert is one of my dearest friends. Uh, I love you, brother. I don't know if you're watching this right now, if you're going to listen to this later. Um, he's also one of my favorite people to make fun of and give a hard time to. Uh, so I'm keeping him honest for you guys on a regular basis. So, you know, one of the things I like to harass him about is the fact that um, you know, sometimes I know he'll come here and he'll do the announcements and then he'll pray and then he'll lead in singing and they'll come over here and preach. And I say, buddy, you got to pass the ball every now and then, you know? Um, and so it's really encouraging to be here with you and to see that happening, to see all the gifts of grace that are present in this church and see you leading and serving one another. Um, the only thing that could make it better would, would be if Albert could be here with us. I wish he was, but I um, uh, hope you are getting better. And I'm so grateful to be able to open the word with you. Um, if you would open your Bible, if you have one handy, to the book of 2 Peter, <clears throat> it's way toward the back in chapter 1. Uh, I am so grateful, uh, you know, Albert was saying that there's a series you guys have been going through that it seems like uh, may really align with uh, what I think the Lord wants to, to direct our attention to today, uh, and so I want to read this and then and pray, and we'll jump in. 2 Peter chapter 1, I will read verses 1 all the way to 15. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you have not left us to ourselves to figure out life and godliness, 
but you have given us your spirit and you've given us your word to instruct us and to guide us. And so, Lord, we come before you this morning simply as your people uh, with open Bibles and open hearts, and we pray that you would work among us, that you would minister to us individually and collectively uh, according to our need for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, let me orient you a little bit to this part of the Bible. Uh, So 2 Peter is is Peter's swan song, you might say. These are Peter's last words uh, publicly to the church. You might have heard in, in verse 14, he says his death is imminent. You remember he said, the putting off of my body is, is coming soon. He, he knows that the end is close for him. And Jesus had told Peter that he would follow him in crucifixion. Uh, historical tradition tells us that, that that prediction, that prophecy from Jesus came to pass when Peter was martyred under Nero after a great fire in Rome in, in 64 AD. And in this last letter... Uh, Peter writes to a group of Christians who he says in verse 13, already know the qualities that mark Christian life. And they already uh, are firmly established in their convictions. Uh, He says they're established in the truth. And so he's talking to or writing to these Christians who already have a very firm foundation because he wants to encourage them to make every effort to grow in the knowledge of these things and in the application of things in their lives, even long after he's gone. He doesn't want them to to forget. Uh, Martin Luther was apparently uh, once asked why Sunday after Sunday, he just kept preaching the gospel. Uh, Luther would come and preach justification by faith over and over and over again. And apparently, at some point, someone in his congregation kind of cried uncle and said, hey, why the same thing over and over? And he uh, apparently looked back to them and just said, because week after week, you forget it. And I think what uh, Martin Luther knew is the same thing as what Peter knew, which I think is the same as what you and I know in our Christian lives, is that uh, it is so easy for us to forget the foundations of our faith. What happens so often, I think in every age, is that Christians are tempted to that kind of spiritual forgetfulness, which leads to a kind of spiritual boredom, a a spiritual apathy or, or laziness. And when we find ourselves in that kind of place, it makes us vulnerable to certain things. Uh, it, It makes us susceptible particularly to the misleading of spiritual novelty. But what Peter is telling us is that what we really need is not something new. We need what's true. In other words, we need fresh encounters with and fresh applications of the truths that we are already, many of us, established in. And so Peter is calling you and I not to abandon those things, not to abandon what we've taught, been taught, but to remember it, to, to grow deeper in it, to apply it more faithfully in our lives. And so the exhortation of this whole letter, and I think of this portion in particular, 
is probably perfectly summarized in the very last verse of the whole book, where Peter says in 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter is encouraging established Christians to grow. He wants, I believe, you and I to stave off the temptations to spiritual apathy, uh, to live our Christian lives on our toes, as my coach used to say, right? Uh, Looking up and, and leaning in and anticipating God's grace and living according to it. And so if you're a a titles kind of person, if you're a note taker kind of person, the title for today's message is put grace to work, put grace to work. Uh, I wonder if you've ever had this experience where you are looking desperately for something that you already have. Uh, like that, you know, proverbial library librarian who's scattering around looking for her glasses and they're hanging around her neck. Uh, there's a story that's now in extended family lore. We were on vacation at a hotel one time and my grandmother ran frantically through the room saying, where's my purse? Where's my purse? And it was like tucked under her arm as she was frantically looking for it. Uh, I remember one time I was in college. I, I needed to get to an exam, a final exam. And I was off campus. I needed to get there fast. And I could not find my keys. And so I'm digging all over my room, uh, down in my bag. I'm opening drawers. And I finally just decide I'm literally going to have to make a run for it. And as I get to the door and grab the doorknob, I realize my keys are draped over my index finger and had been the entire time I was looking. Now, I'm not assuming all of you can be as absent-minded as I can. uh, But I wonder if you can uh, resonate with that experience of at some point looking so desperately for something only to realize you already had it. Peter says here something similar can happen in our spiritual lives, where we become preoccupied with other things and we forget that we already have what we need. So I have really just two points Today, I may sneak in a few subpoints if you don't mind, but um, two points. First, see the grace you have, and second, put grace to work. So in the, in the opening verses, I think Peter unpacks this grace that we have. Uh, he points out three spiritual blessings that every Christian has already obtained. And so if you're here this morning and you would consider yourself a, a follower of Jesus, These are things you already have. They're things that God has given to us by his own pleasure. They aren't things that that we strive for. They're not things we earn. Uh, They're not wages of works. They are gifts bestowed on us through Christ. And so let's call them three gifts of grace. Let's just look at them each briefly. First, in verse 1, it says we are those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Gift number one is a firm standing in faith. If you've got your Bible and you're looking closer at that verse, you see that word, ours, Uh, when it's referring to this equal standing, that's referring to the apostles. Peter had just said that he's a servant of Christ and he's one of the apostles. 
That means that he is one of the eyewitnesses of the ministry and death and resurrection and uh, post-resurrection ministry and ascension of Jesus. He's one of those who was commissioned by Jesus to go and establish the church. And so Peter is like a capital L leader. Uh, he's, he's it. Like we don't create hierarchy in the church, but if we did and we made a big org chart, Peter's at the top. Uh, he is the head honcho of the church, so to speak. Peter in this statement is not sort of renouncing his role in the church. There's no doubt that he has a particular calling as a herald of Christ and uh, as a, a founder of the church. But what he is saying is that his role has not given him a greater standing. It has not given him a greater standing in, he, in the faith than anyone else in this room. Most of the people he's addressing uh, are not leaders. Uh, certainly none of them would have played the unique role that, that Peter was called to play. But he's saying very intentionally at the outset of this letter that none of them played, uh, none of them uh, had a different standing in the faith than he did. He says that they and every Christian after them, including you and I, have obtained a standing in the faith that is just as honorable, just as real, just as precious as the apostolic fathers of the church. I think that reality, that gift has a tendency at times to maybe humble us and at other times to encourage us. Uh, sometimes uh, don't we have a tendency to exalt the uh, other Christians in our lives who we may see as, uh, as greater than us in some way? Uh, you know, the, the super gifted guy or the super godly friend or the people that we uh, listen to online. Maybe we download their sermon podcasts or we, uh, we follow their articles and, and writings and influences. We have a tendency to, to put at times those people on a, a pedestal. Sometimes we do this with, with pastors. Um, as much as I love my friend Albert, one of the things this passage is saying is that uh, Albert has a very important task, uh, but he's no more special in his standing in the faith than anyone else in this room. Peter says, we have all obtained a faith of equal standing, but why? Well, because you and I didn't earn that standing, we obtained it. Do you see that? It says, the standing in the faith we have before God is not something we've achieved. It's something we've received. It wasn't given to you and I because of our merit. It was, as Peter says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the means by which we find that standing, being equal among all people at all times, helps us see that the standing that we have in that faith is no better or worse than anyone else's. 
Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one, not the apostle Peter, not any leader, not you and I. You and I were not saved because of anything you've done. You were saved because of what Christ has done. And so that means no one can move you up or down the ladder of faith. That's, that's grace gift number one, that in Christ you have a sure standing in the faith. Grace gift number two is unwrapped, you might say, in verse three. Peter says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So key key phrase there, if you look back in verse three, it says, he has granted. Past tense, one directional, granted. It's already been given. You've already got it. What is it? What's gift number two? All things that pertain to life and godliness. That's a pretty all-encompassing gift, isn't it? All things that pertain to life and godliness have been granted to you. They are currently in your possession. It's amazing that as a child of God, you have been united with Christ and you have in your possession this morning all things that pertain to life and godliness. What are some of those things? Uh, Through your union with Christ, you are joined to the Father and you have been given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have before you this morning the word that the Holy Spirit inspired. Uh, You have the church. You have this community of saints where you bring your particular gifts to bear and they bring their particular abilities to bear and, and fill in the parts that you lack. The key that you and I need in order to move forward in godliness is not out there somewhere. According to Peter, it's part of this gift, this possession that you and I already have. Now let's look at grace gift number three. It's in verse four. He says, by which he, God, has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. So there it is again, if you caught it for the second time, third time, something like it. it, it, It's something that has been granted. What's been granted in this case? Peter says, his precious and very great promises. What are those promises that have been granted that that you have uh, obtained this morning? Well, we certainly have the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, that's been given to us. We have the promise that, that Christ will conform us, God will conform us to the image of Christ. We have a promise of a future inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and, and unfading. 
But I think to get a little more specific, uh, it would help to see what's the point of these promises. Peter says that the purpose of them is that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world. Uh, Divine nature here uh, is about a, a way of being, the way Peter uses it. So like if you know a very caring person, like I'm just gonna imagine hypothetically for a second that Kim Sharp is a really caring person, okay? Like I walk in this morning, she immediately gives me the grand tour, tells me what's going on, answers questions that I have but haven't even asked yet. She's just so helpful, right? Well, if, if one of you were talking to me about her after the meeting today, something that would make sense for you to say would just be, oh, that's Kim's nature. That's just, that's just who she is. That's what she's like. Of course she would do that. Well, when, when Peter talks about us partaking in the divine nature, he's saying that, that God has given us his promises to make us like him in the way that we live. So that if someone were to look at you and say, oh, they're, uh, and, and, and you're trying to be godly, you're seeking to live out godliness, um, it would be natural for them to say, oh, that's, that's their nature, that they have the divine nature working out in their lives in the way that they live. Peter will talk in this book about how the world is, is corrupting, how it's decaying, how it's corroding. And before we knew Christ, we, we were subject to that decay in our lives, weren't we? Can you just think back for a moment on the season of your life, if you can recall it, a, apart from Christ? Peter tells us that in Christ, God is making all things new. And that's not just hypothetical. He's making you new. He's making us new. And he delivers us from that bondage to sin. He delivers us from that slavery to the decay of the world around us. And he empowers us then with the Holy Spirit to live according to his divine nature. Colossians uh, phrases it like this, that he is conforming us into the image of Christ. And so we have all the resources available to us right now that we need to increasingly partake of that divine nature in the way that we live. So in light of all those things that we've been given, Uh, And in light of the purpose of those promises, Peter makes a shift in verse five. And he says, for this very reason, now what? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So in other words, Peter's saying, okay, you found your glasses, uh, you found your purse, you found your keys, uh, you're aware of what you have. Now stop walking around like you are lost and broke and blind and put those gifts to use. Begin to experience the freedom that comes from putting that grace to work. Now twice here Peter says, make every effort. In verse 10, he will say things like, be all the more diligent. 
Now, it's funny, it might sound a, a little off. After all this talk of grace and, and gifts, thing, things being granted apart from our effort, when, when Peter calls us to, to then make effort and be diligent, is this like moralism? Is it legalism? Well, I think it's important for us to reckon with the fact that grace is absolutely opposed to earning. Uh, you cannot earn your way into the blessing that Peter described in the last several verses. You cannot get those gifts by what you do. But though grace is opposed to earning, grace is not opposed to effort. Uh, grace motivates us to make use of the gifts that we've been given. So uh, as I think about this, it reminds me of Christmas morning at my house. Uh, as you can imagine, based on uh, Albert's description of my family, it's pretty chaotic, right? I have kids from 16 to one and a half and uh, we're blessed to be able to give them presents on Christmas morning. And you know what I don't normally have to do is kind of gather everyone around at noon on Christmas Day and say, hey, guys, why don't, you, why don't, we, why don't we play with this stuff, you know? Uh, you know, let's, let's pull out that Nintendo Switch or let's get on that new bike or whatever it is. No, normally they're like seeing how many of the gifts they can use at the same time, right? Like somebody's got a robe on or a new pair of socks and they're riding a bike and they got a phone under their arm. Like they're trying to cram all those gifts in as much as possible because they're so excited about, about all of it, right? Well, as the children of God, likewise, it's our joy. It's our delight to make use of the gifts that God's given us. Uh, unburdening ourselves from slavery to sin is not a drag. It's part of the privilege of freedom in Christ. And Peter wants to encourage us this morning to make use of these incredible gifts. You know, I, I experienced this, I think, you might think of in a small way recently, but it was very real for me. Uh, I found myself in this place where my prayer life had just been flat. And I don't know if anyone here can relate with this. I'm sure Tuesday night, you guys will have an amazing prayer meeting and you don't know what I'm talking about at all. But, um, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm praying. You know, when people text me, say, pray, I'm praying, you know. But it's kind of this on the way to the store, oh, yes, Lord, and please, please be with so-and-so and so-and-so. And, um, and I just found myself over the course of a week or so just burdened. Uh, I, I just found myself heavy, and, and aware of these anxieties and pressures that, that I was carrying. And so, man, I remember it was on a Thursday morning. I just set my alarm clock 30 minutes earlier or so. And I went downstairs and got that cup of coffee. And I sat down in my chair and I just talked to God. I mean, we just talked, right? And I just unburdened my soul before the Lord. Cast my cares on him. Um, and Friends, when that cup of coffee was empty, and me and the Lord had had this talk, I did not stand up from my chair and say, well, man, I'm glad I've checked that box. Like, what's next on today's do list? I stood up and said, thank you, Jesus. I am freer than I was 30 minutes ago. <laughs> that was not a drag. That was not a duty. That was me experiencing your grace at work in my life through the effort of a little bit earlier and a little focused attention, as if that's really actually much effort, right? <laughs> that was me experiencing the fact that 
It's my foolishness that keeps me from prayer, not the Lord. And it's God's faithfulness that meets me in prayer. And yet, how often do I foolishly live my life with these incredible gifts at my disposal that I simply don't make use of? Not only for God's glory, but for my freedom and my good. Friends, God wants us to put his grace to work so we benefit from it. Supplementing my faith with the virtues of humility, maybe a little discipline and prayerfulness, was far from a ladder to a greater standing. It was making use of grace. And so that's the kind of life that Peter is calling us into in this chapter. There's a, there's a list of things here uh, people call a, a virtue list. It's similar to a couple of others in other parts of the New Testament. This is not some uh, kind of ritual or, or legal rule where it's like, okay, first do virtue, okay, check, now do knowledge, now do something. No, it's just describing a way of life in Christ. And so let's just look at this list really, really briefly. He calls us to, to virtue. Uh, that is a, a life governed by God's principles. It calls us to, to knowledge. Uh, when that's used in Scripture, it includes intellectual understanding, but is always more than that. Um, in the same way that a, a husband and wife would know information about each other, but that information leads to greater relational intimacy, so it is with God. He wants us to grow in that kind of knowledge of one another. He says to add self-control, the, the ability to not let our passions overtake us and drive us. It calls us to steadfastness, that is persevering in those things over time and through difficulty. It's amazing, just in a few minutes this morning, talking to a few people who have persevered in the faith for decades and are still here this morning turning on the lights and running the sound. Nobody's writing blog posts about those people, but those people permeate the life of this church and the church. Steadfastness, godliness, that is a, a, a likeness to God, an imaging of him and the way that uh, a, a child might imitate their, their parent. We are to be like God in the way that we relate with others. All of that overflows then into an affection for those that God loves, a brotherly affection, affection for one another. And then it adds to that finally is this kind of summary capstone that we add a life of love. After this list, Peter shows two implications of these qualities. What happens when that kind of stuff marks your life? He talks about what happens if you do have them, and then on the other side of the coin, what happens if you don't? He says, if you have them and you're increasing in them, you're growing in them. So in other words, we don't go from, I was blowing it on all these Sunday morning, then I heard a sermon and had a prayer, and now I've got them all. The description is that over time, we increase. Uh, we don't become perfect overnight, we grow in them. And he says, if you do, verse 8, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. 
um, man, I think all of us want our lives to count for something, right? Whether you're kind of at the front end of of life and you're anticipating what are you going to do with it and man I really wanted to have purpose and what would God have me uh, study or, or what kind of career should I get in, into I want it to matter whether you're kind of looking at life largely in the rearview mirror and you're thinking I don't want to waste another breath how can I be sure that my days matter well according to Peter if you want to feel like you are making an impact The way to ensure effectiveness and fruitfulness is by adding these qualities to your life. I think that is something incredibly countercultural about Christian faith. I think in the day we live in, so many people want a platform, but they want to bypass the formation necessary to earn that platform. Uh, We want to have gifts and influence and abilities that immediately makes us famous, fast, or at least influential. But according to Christ and his word, the key to that kind of influence, that effectiveness and fruitfulness in the kingdom of God is not fast and famous. The key to effectiveness and fruitfulness in the kingdom of God is the diligent pursuit of Christian character that if you have these kind of qualities increasingly, that will inevitably have the overflow of fruitfulness. Next, Peter diagnoses what's going on when these qualities are lacking. I think all of us have been in seasons where we were not growing in the faith the way we wanted to be. Uh, I've been there. I had fits of it recently. But Peter shows us what's going on when that happens in verse 9. He says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Uh, I'm nearsighted. If I didn't have my contacts in this morning, I would no way be able to read the clock on the back of that wall that tells me I've got just a few more minutes. Um, Peter's using that kind of uh, vision to help us see it's possible to get so nearsighted that it's so bad you can't even see your hand in front of your face, that you're, you're functionally blind. And he's, he's saying that, that the cause of, of spiritual stagnation is, is this kind of spiritual amnesia. It's this forgetfulness uh, because the, the cause of spiritual amnesia is a preoccupation with the present. You're so nearsighted, you're so fixated on what's right in front of you and whatever is going on right now in this moment that you, you have forgotten that you were cleansed of your former sins. So in other words, the very reality that would most affect your ability to process the present, you are blind to because you're so nearsighted by your present. Does that make any sense at all? I'm so anxious. I'm so, this next decision, this, uh, what's going to happen with my kids? What's going to happen with my job? What's, What's going on? I'm so fixated on it that the thing that would bring me a degree of freedom and peace in the midst of it, I can't see because it blinds me to the fact that I've been forgiven of my sin. 
Isn't that amazing that, that Peter says that's the truth that's most deeply needed in those very moments is what? Some novel spiritual enlightenment. Uh, some fascinating thing that no Christian has ever heard before that I need to get a hold of. No, what we most need is the remembrance that we were cleansed of our former sins. God didn't merely uh, improve you or, or uplift you or inspire you. Peter's reminding you and I that he saved you from the wrath of God and redeemed you from the penalty of sin and cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And he says, if you remember that gift, you will see beyond your circumstances and grow in the nature of God. And so in light of all this, Peter then concludes in verse 10. He says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, your calling and election cannot change. What God has done, no one can undo. What can be undone is your confidence. So Peter says, work at it. Be all the more diligent to confirm these things. The, the antidote to stumbling and blindness is remembering what you have and putting it to work. And when you do, he says, you'll not only cast off the blinders of preoccupation, he says, you'll secure for yourself a certain kind of entrance into the kingdom of God. That rather than limping across the finish line, you will experience an entrance that's rich, he says. That, that's full of confidence in Christ and of the destination that's in front of you. So you can't focus on and run toward a destination you can't see. And so the way you run forward to that entrance is by remembering and making use of what you have. Just think about the people you know who have been running the race for a long time, running it faithfully, running it well, and when their funeral comes, there's not going to be a doubt in anybody's mind exactly where they are. I would bet you that what's most remarkable about those individuals is the presence of the qualities that we've discussed this morning. That there's been a godliness and a steadfastness and a persistence in the faith over time, a brotherly affection, a love for the church, a love for God. Those kinds of qualities ensure for you and I a rich inheritance into the kingdom. Just as we close, uh, my family's been mentioned uh, this morning. I'm, I'm currently in the uh, position of teaching a teenager to drive. Pray for me. Uh, I, there's a little gray in here now just from the last couple of months. Um, but this experience has been fascinating because it's reminding me of my own experience learning to drive a while back. And all these memories have just kind of come flooding back. And I remember my dad really wanted me to learn how to drive a stick. Uh, I would like to think it was for like character development, but <clears throat> all he said was, I don't want some girl throwing you the keys to her sports car and you can't drive it. 
So I think he was actually like trying to protect my manhood or something like that. And so he got this cheap stick and, and I learned to drive on it. And one day we were uh, on a, a four lane divided highway with a median in between. And I was turning left across the median and there was a bit of an incline. If you've ever driven a stick, you know where the store is going already, right? Uh, I start to make that left-hand turn across two lanes of oncoming traffic. I get just over the hill and stall in the middle of the highway. <laughs> Amazingly, my dad does not completely freak out. He just put in the clutch, start it. Put in the clutch, start, start it. That moment has reminded me so many times in these last months that that car had plenty of power, but I didn't put it in gear. Uh, in the Christian life, God gives the power we need, and he calls us to put it in gear. Uh, the Christian life is not life in the passenger seat. It's, it's a clutch and shift kind of life. But some of us can get stuck in a Christian life with the engine running, but the car is not going anywhere. God has given you his grace in the past. He's given you and I his great and precious promises for the future. He's given you all things for life and godliness. Now, it's time to put it in gear. It's time to put it in gear to make every effort to supplement your faith with growth, to make your calling sure. For the glory of God, for your own good and freedom, and for the blessing of God of the people around you who need you, not only in this church, but the people who desperately need to hear the gospel of Jesus. So as we close, could we just take a moment in light of all that grace that we've been given to consider, what's one way, just one, we're not gonna knock out that whole list today. What's one way you could begin to put grace to work in your life? What's one area where you might be able to supplement your faith with virtue. Maybe you're aware there's something you're indulging in and you need to exercise self-control. Maybe there's someone you're angry with and you need to exercise love. Maybe there's a situation you're impatient with and you need to exercise steadfastness and trust the Lord through the long haul. Maybe there's a disregard for God's people in your life and you need to find ways to express brotherly affection. Maybe there's a a disregard for God himself in areas of your life. And you need to pursue knowledge of him and reverence for him. It doesn't take most of us long when we consider questions like that to start to put our finger on some area. What I want to encourage you in this morning is the pursuit of growth in those things is something you do by the grace of God, something the Spirit of God will empower you for, and something that is not a drudgery or a duty, but will lead in your delight and your freedom and your joy. So I want to encourage you, don't grow weary in doing good. Pursue it for the glory of God, and it will be for your good. Let me pray for you. Father, we are so grateful for the gifts that you've bestowed on us as your children. God, what remarkable grace that we have a standing even right up there with the Apostle Peter that's firm and sure before the Father, that's been secured for us by the righteousness of the Son. Father, we are thankful that we have your promises 
Lord, promises that you will never leave us or forsake us, promises to send us the help of your Holy Spirit and secure for us a great future inheritance. God, I pray that you would strengthen us to comprehend the greatness of these gifts. And Lord, would you help my brothers and sisters in Living Hope Church to put that grace to work in their hearts and lives today. God, that they would experience in their lives the freedom from bondage to sin that you purchased for them. God, that they would experience the joy of active reliance upon you. That they would experience the, the goodness of service and steadfastness and love. And God, that as they are renewed by your grace in these ways, that you would strengthen them and encourage them and use them for your glory as they anticipate that rich, rich inheritance. And I entrust them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.